Book 15, Chapters 10 and 11 of the Antiquities of the Jews, Volume 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Bill Mosley. The Antiquities of the Jews, Volume 3, by Flavius Josephus. Translated by William Whiston. Book 15, Chapters 10 and 11. Chapter 10. How Herod sent his sons to Rome. How also he was accused by Zenodorus and the Gadarans, but was cleared of what they accused him of, and withal gained to himself the goodwill of Caesar. Concerning the Pharisees, the Essenes, and Manahem. When Herod was engaged in such matters, and when he had already re-edified Sebast, Samaria, he resolved to send his sons Alexander and Aristobulus to Rome to enjoy the company of Caesar, who, when they came thither, lodged at the house of Polio, who was very fond of Herod's friendship, and they had leave to lodge in Caesar's own palace, for he received these sons of Herod with all humanity, and gave Herod leave to give his kingdom to which of his sons he pleased. And besides all this, he bestowed on him Trachon and Batania and Aronitus, which he gave him on the occasion following. One, Zenodorus, had hired what was called the house of Lysanias, who, as he was not satisfied with its revenues, became a partner with the robbers that inhabited the Trachonites, and so procured himself a larger income. For the inhabitants of those places lived in a mad way, and pillaged the country of the Damascenes, while Zenodorus did not restrain them, but partook of the prey they acquired. Now, as the neighboring people were hereby great sufferers, they complained to Varro, who was then president of Syria, and entreated him to write to Caesar about this injustice of Zenodorus. When these matters were laid before Caesar, he rode back to Varro to destroy those nests of robbers, and to give the land to Herod, that so, by his care, the neighboring countries might be no longer disturbed with these doings of the Trachonites, for it was not an easy firing to restrain them, since this way of robbery had been their usual practice, and they had no other way to get their living because they had neither any city of their own nor lands in their possession but only some receptacles and dens in the earth and there they and their cattle lived in common together however they had made contrivances to get pools of water and laid up corn and granaries for themselves and were able to make great resistance by issuing out on the sudden against any that attacked them for the entrances of their caves were narrow, 
in which but one could come in at a time, and the places within incredibly large, and made very wide, but the ground over their habitations was not very high, but rather on a plain, while the rocks are altogether hard and difficult to be entered upon. Unless any one gets into the plain road by the guidance of another, for these roads are not straight, but have several revolutions. But when these men are hindered from their wicked preying upon their neighbors, their custom is to prey one upon another, insomuch that no sort of injustice comes amiss to them. But when Herod had received this grant from Caesar, and was come into this country, he procured skillful guides, and put a stop to their wicked robberies, and procured peace and quietness to the neighboring people. Hereupon Zenodorus was grieved, in the first place because his principality was taken away from him, and still more so because he envied Herod who had gotten it. So he went up to Rome to accuse him, but returned back again without success. Now Agrippa was about this time sent to succeed Caesar in the government of the countries beyond the Ionian Sea, upon whom Herod lighted when he was wintering about Mytilene, for he had been his particular friend and companion, and then returned into Judea again. However, some of the Gadarenes came to Agrippa, and accused Herod, whom he sent back bound to the king without giving them the hearing. But still the Arabians, who of old bear ill will to Herod's government, were nettled, and at that time attempted to raise a sedition in his dominions, and as they thought upon a more justifiable occasion, for Zenodorus, despairing already of success as to his own affairs, prevented his enemies by selling to those Arabians a part of his principality called Aronitus for the value of fifty talents. But as this was included in the donations of Caesar, they contested the point with Herod, as unjustly deprived of what they had bought. Sometimes they did this by making incursions upon him, and sometimes by attempting force against him, and sometimes by going to law with him. Moreover, they persuaded the poorer soldiers to help them, and were troublesome to him, out of a constant hope that they should reduce the people to raise a sedition, in which designs those that are in the most miserable circumstances of life are still the most earnest. And although Herod had been a great while apprised of these attempts, yet did not he indulge any severity to them, but by rational methods aimed to mitigate things, as not willing to give any handle for tumults. Now when Herod had already reigned seventeen years, Caesar came into Syria, at which time the greatest part of the inhabitants of Gadara clamored against Herod, as one that was heavy in his injunctions and tyrannical. These reproaches they mainly ventured upon by the encouragement of Zenodorus, 
who took his oath that he would never leave Herod till he had procured that they should be severed from Herod's kingdom and joined to Caesar's province. The Gadarenes were induced hereby and made no small cry against him, and that the more boldly because those that had been delivered up by Agrippa were not punished by Herod, who let them go, and did them no harm, for indeed he was the principal man in the world who appeared almost inexorable in punishing crimes in his own family, but very generous in remitting the offenses that were committed elsewhere. And while they accused Herod of injuries, and plunderings, and subversions of temples, he stood unconcerned, and was ready to make his defense. However, Caesar gave him his right hand, and remitted nothing of his kindness to him upon this disturbance by the multitude. And indeed these things were alleged the first day, but the hearing proceeded no further. For as the Gadarenes saw the inclination of Caesar and of his assessors, and expected, as they had reason to do, that they should be delivered up to the king, some of them, out of a dread of the torments they might undergo, cut their own throats in the night-time, and some of them threw themselves down precipices, and others of them cast themselves into the river, and destroyed themselves of their own accord, which accidents seemed a sufficient condemnation of the rashness and crimes they had been guilty of. Whereupon Caesar made no longer delay, but cleared Herod from the crimes he was accused of. Another happy accident there was, which was a further great advantage to Herod at this time, for Zenodorus's belly burst, and a great quantity of blood issued from him in his sickness, and he thereby departed this life at Antioch in Syria. So Caesar bestowed his country, which was no small one, upon Herod, it lay between Trachon and Galilee, and contained Eulatha and Panius, and the country round about. He also made him one of the procurators of Syria, and commanded that they should do everything with his approbation, and, in short, he arrived at that pitch of felicity that whereas there were but two men that governed the vast Roman Empire, first Caesar and then Agrippa, who was his principal favorite. Caesar preferred no one to Herod besides Agrippa, and Agrippa made no one his greater friend than Herod besides Caesar. And when he had acquired such freedom, he begged of Caesar a tetrarchy for his brother Ferorus, while he did himself bestow upon him a revenue of a hundred talents out of his own kingdom, that in case he came to any harm himself, his brother might be in safety, and that his sons might not have dominion over him. So when he had conducted Caesar to the sea, and was returned home, he built him a most beautiful temple of the whitest stone in Zenodorus's country, near the place called Panlure. 
this is a very fine cave in a mountain under which there is a great cavity in the earth and the cavern is abrupt and prodigiously deep and full of a still water over it hangs a vast mountain and under the caverns arise the springs of the river jordan herod adorned this place which was already a very remarkable one still further by the erection of this temple which he dedicated to caesar at which time herod released to his subjects the third part of their taxes under pretense indeed of relieving them after the dearth they had had but the main reason was to recover their good will which he now wanted for they were uneasy at him because of the innovations he had introduced in their practices of the dissolution of their religion and of the disuse of their own customs and the people everywhere talked against him like those that were still more provoked and disturbed at his procedure against which discontents he greatly guarded himself and took away the opportunities they might have to disturb him and enjoined them to be always at work nor did he permit the citizens either to meet together or to walk or eat together watched everything they did and when they were caught they were severely punished and many there were who were brought to the citadel hyrcania both openly and secretly and were there put to death and there were spies set everywhere both in the city and in the roads who watched those that met together nay it is reported that he did not himself neglect this part of caution but that he would oftentimes himself take the habit of a private man and mix among the multitude in the night-time and make trial what opinion they had of his government and as for those that could no way be reduced to acquiesce under his scheme of government he prosecuted them all manner of ways but for the rest of the multitude he required that they should be obliged to take an oath of fidelity to him and at the same time compelled them to swear that they would bear him good will and continue certainly so to do in his management of the government and indeed a great part of them either to please him or out of fear of him yielded to what he required of them but for such as were of a more open and generous disposition and had indignation at the force he used to them he by one means or other made away with them he endeavored also to persuade polio the pharisee and satnias and the greatest part of their scholars to take the oath but these would neither submit so to do nor were they punished together with the rest out of the reverence he bore to polio the Essenes also, as we call a sect of ours, were excused from this imposition. These men live the same kind of life as do those whom the Greeks call Pythagoreans, concerning whom I shall discourse more fully elsewhere. 
However, it is but fit to set down here the reasons wherefore Herod had these as scenes in such honor, and thought higher of them than their mortal nature required, nor will this account be unsuitable to the nature of this history, as it will show the opinion men had of these Essenes. Now there was one of these Essenes, whose name was Manahem, who had this testimony, that he not only conducted his life after an excellent manner, but had the foreknowledge of future events given him by God also. This man once saw Herod when he was a child, and going to school, and saluted him as king of the Jews. But he, thinking that either he did not know him, or that he was in jest, put him in mind that he was but a private man. But Menahem smiled to himself, and clapped him on his backside with his hand, and said, However that be, thou wilt be king and wilt begin thy reign happily, for God finds thee worthy of it. And do thou remember the blows that Manahem hath given thee, as being a signal of the change of thy fortune. And truly this will be the best reasoning for thee, that thou love justice towards men, and piety towards God, and clemency towards thy citizens. Yet do I know how thy whole conduct will be, that thou wilt not be such a one, for thou wilt excel all men in happiness, and obtain an everlasting reputation, but wilt forget piety and righteousness, and these crimes will not be concealed from God at the conclusion of thy life, when thou wilt find that he will be mindful of them, and punish time for them. Now at that time Herod did not at all attend to what Manahem said, as having no hopes of such advancement. But a little afterward, when he was so fortunate as to be advanced to the dignity of king, and was in the height of his dominion, he sent for Manahem, and asked him how long he should reign. Manahem did not tell him the full length of his reign, Wherefore, upon that silence of his, he asked him further whether he should reign ten years or not. He replied, Yes, twenty, nay, thirty years, but did not assign the just determinate limit of his reign. Herod was satisfied with these replies, and gave Manahem his hand, and dismissed him, and from that time he continued to honor all the Essenes. We have thought it proper to relate these facts to our readers, how strange soever they be, and to declare what hath happened among us, because many of these Essenes have by their excellent virtue been thought worthy of this knowledge of divine revelations. Chapter 11 how Herod rebuilt the temple, and raised it higher, and made it more magnificent than it was before, as also concerning that tower which he called Antonia. And now Herod, in the eighteenth year of his reign, and after the acts already mentioned, 
undertook a very great work, that is, to build of himself the temple of God, and make it larger in compass, and to raise it to a most magnificent altitude, as esteeming it to be the most glorious of all his actions, as it really was to bring it to perfection, and that this would be sufficient for an everlasting memorial of him. But as he knew the multitude were not ready nor willing to assist him in so vast a design, he thought to prepare them first by making a speech to them and then set about the work itself. So he called them together and spake thus to them, I think I need not speak to you, my countrymen, about such other works as I have done since I came to the kingdom. Although I may say they have been performed in such a manner as to bring more security to you than glory to myself. For I have neither been negligent in the most difficult times about what tended to ease your necessities, nor have the buildings. I have been so proper to preserve me as yourselves from injuries, and I imagine that with God's assistance I have advanced the nation of the Jews to a degree of happiness which they never had before and for the particular edifices belonging to your own country and your own cities, as also to those cities that we have lately acquired, which we have erected and greatly adorned, and thereby augmented the dignity of your nation. It seems to me a needless task to enumerate them to you, since you well know them yourselves, but as to that undertaking which I have a mind to set about at present, and which will be a work of the greatest piety and excellence that can possibly be undertaken by us, I will now declare it to you. Our fathers, indeed, when they were returned from Babylon, built this temple to God Almighty. Yet does it want sixty cubits of its largeness and altitude, for so much did that first temple which Solomon built exceed this temple. Nor let any one condemn our fathers for their negligence or want of piety herein, for it was not their fault that the temple was no higher, for they were Cyrus and Darius the son of Histaspes, who determined the measure for its rebuilding, and it hath been by reason of the subjection of those fathers of ours to them and to their posterity, and after them to the Macedonians, that they had not the opportunity to follow the original model of this pious edifice, nor could raise it to its ancient altitude. But since I am now by God's will your governor, and I have had peace a long time, and have gained great riches and large revenues, and what is the principal filing of all, I am at amity with and well regarded by the Romans, who, if I may so say, are the rulers of the whole world. I will do my endeavor to correct that imperfection which hath arisen from the necessity of our affairs, and the slavery we have been under formerly, and to make a thankful return, after the most pious manner, to God, 
for what blessings I have received from him by giving me this kingdom, and that by rendering his temple as complete as I am able. And this was the speech which Herod made to them. But still this speech affrighted many of the people, as being unexpected by them, because it seemed incredible. It did not encourage them, but put a damp upon them, for they were afraid that he would pull down the whole edifice, and not be able to bring his intentions to perfection for its rebuilding. And this danger appeared to them to be very great, and the vastness of the undertaking to be such as could hardly be accomplished. But while they were in this disposition, the king encouraged them and told them he would not pull down their temple till all things were gotten ready for building it up entirely again. And as he promised them this beforehand, so he did not break his word with them, but got ready a thousand wagons that were to bring stones for the building, and chose out ten thousand of the most skillful workmen, and bought a thousand sacerdotal garments for as many of the priests, and had some of them taught the arts of stone-cutters and others of carpenters, and then began to build but this not till everything was well prepared for the work. So Herod took away the old foundations and laid others, and erected the temple upon them, being in length a hundred cubits, and in height twenty additional cubits, which twenty upon the sinking of their foundations fell down, and this part it was that we resolved to raise again in the days of Nero. Now the temple was built of stones that were white and strong, and each of their length was twenty-five cubits. Their height was eight, and their breadth about twelve, and the whole structure, as also the structure of the royal cloister, was on each side much lower. But the middle was much higher, till they were visible to those that dwelt in the country for a great many furlongs but chiefly to such as lived over against them, and those that approached to them. The temple had doors also at the entrance, and lintels over them, of the same height with the temple itself. They were adorned with embroidered veils, with their flowers of purple, and pillars interwoven, and over these, but under the crownwork, was spread out a golden vine, with its branches hanging down from a great height, the largeness and fine workmanship of which was a surprising sight to the spectators, to see what vast materials there were, and with what great skill the workmanship was done. He also encompassed the entire temple with very large cloisters, contriving them to be in a due proportion thereto, he laid out larger sums of money upon them than had been done before him, till it seemed that no one else had so greatly adorned the temple as he had done. There was a large wall to both the cloisters, which wall was itself the most prodigious work that was ever heard of by man. 
the hill was a rocky ascent that declined by degrees towards the east parts of the city till it came to an elevated level this hill it was which solomon who was the first of our kings by divine revelation encompassed with a wall it was of excellent workmanship upwards and round the top of it he also built a wall below beginning at the bottom which was encompassed by a deep valley and at the south side he laid rocks together and bound them one to another with lead and included some of the inner parts till it proceeded to a great height until both the largeness of the square edifice and its altitude were immense and till the vastness of the stones in the front were plainly visible on the outside yet so that the inward parts were fastened together with iron and preserved the joints immovable for all future times when this work for the foundation was done in this manner and joined together as part of the hill itself to the very top of it he wrought it all into one outward surface and filled up the hollow places which were about the wall and made it a level on the external upper surface and a smooth level also this hill was walled all round and encompassed four furlongs the distance of each angle containing in length a furlong but within this wall and on the very top of all there ran another wall of stone also having on the east quarter a double cloister of the same length with the wall in the midst of which was the temple itself this cloister looked to the gates of the temple and it had been adorned by many kings in former times and round about the entire temple were fixed the spoils taken from barbarous nations all these had been dedicated to the temple by herod with the addition of those he had taken from the arabians now on the north side of the temple was built a citadel whose walls were square and strong and of extraordinary firmness this citadel was built by the kings of the asamonian race who were also high priests before herod and they called it the tower in which were reposited the vestments of the high priests which the high priest only put on at the time when he was to offer sacrifice these vestments king herod kept in that place and after his death they were under the power of the romans until the time of tiberius caesar under whose reign vitellius the president of syria when he once came to jerusalem and had been most magnificently received by the multitude he had a mind to make them some requital for the kindness they had shewn him so upon their petition to have these holy vestments in their own power he rode about them to diberius caesar who granted his request and this their power over the sacerdotal vestments continued with the jews till the death of king agrippa but after that cassius longinus who was president of syria and cuspius fadus who was procurator of judea 
enjoined the Jews to reposit these vestments in the tower of Antonia, for that they ought to have them in their power, as they formerly had. However, the Jews sent ambassadors to Claudius Caesar, to intercede with him for them, upon whose coming King Agrippa, Jr., being then in Rome, asked for and obtained the power over them from the emperor, who gave command to Vitellius, who was then commander in Syria, to give it them accordingly. Before that time they were kept under the seal of the high priest, and of the treasurers of the temple, which treasurers the day before a festival went up to the Roman captain of the temple guards, and viewed their own seal, and received the vestments. And again, when the festival was over, they brought it to the same place, and showed the captain of the temple guards their seal, which corresponded with his seal, and reposited them there. And that these things were so, the afflictions that happened to us afterwards about them are sufficient evidence. But for the tower itself, when Herod the king of the Jews had fortified it more firmly than before, in order to secure and guard the temple, he gratified Antonius, who was his friend, and the Roman ruler, and then gave it the name of the Tower of Antonia. Now in the western quarters of the enclosure of the temple, there were four gates. The first led to the king's palace and went to a passage over the intermediate valley. Two more led to the suburbs of the city, and the last led to the other city, where the road descended down into the valley by a great number of steps, and thence up again by the ascent for the city lay over against the temple in the manner of a theatre and was encompassed with a deep valley along the entire south quarter. But the fourth front of the temple, which was southward, had indeed itself gates in its middle, as also it had the royal cloisters, with three walks, which reached in length from the east valley unto that on the west, for it was impossible it should reach any farther and this cloister deserves to be mentioned better than any other under the sun. For while the valley was very deep, and its bottom could not be seen, if you looked from above into the depth, this further vastly high elevation of the cloister stood upon that height, insomuch that if any one looked down from the top of the battlements, or down both those altitudes, he would be giddy, while his sight could not reach to such an immense depth. This cloister had pillars that stood in four rows, one over against the other all along, for the fourth row was interwoven into the wall, which also was built of stone, and the thickness of each pillar was such that three men might, with their arms extended, fathom it round, and join their hands again while its length was twenty-seven feet, with a double spiral at its base, and the number of all the pillars in that court was a hundred and sixty-two.
their chapitures were made with sculptures after the corinthian order and caused an amazement to the spectators by reason of the grandeur of the whole these four rows of pillars included three intervals for walking in the middle of this cloister two of which walks were made parallel to each other and were contrived after the same manner the breadth of each of them was thirty feet the length was a furlong and the height fifty feet but the breadth of the middle part of the cloister was one and a half of the other and the height was double for it was much higher than those on each side but the roofs were adorned with deep sculptures in wood representing many sorts of figures the middle was much higher than the rest and the wall of the front was adorned with beams resting upon pillars that were interwoven into it and that front was all of polished stone insomuch that its fineness to such as had not seen it was incredible and to such as had seen it was greatly amazing this was the first enclosure in the midst of which and not far from it was the second to be gone up to by a few steps this was encompassed by a stone wall for a partition with an inscription which forbade any foreigner to go in under pain of death now this inner enclosure had on its southern and northern quarters three gates equally distant one from another but at the east quarter towards the sun rising there was one large gate through which such as were pure came in together with their wives but the temple further inward in that gate was not allowed to the women but still more inward was there a third court of the temple whereinto it was not lawful for any but the priests alone to enter the temple itself was within this and before that temple was the altar upon which we offer our sacrifices and burnt offerings to god into none of these three did king herod enter for he was forbidden because he was not a priest however he took care of the cloisters and the outer enclosures and these he built in eight years but the temple itself was built by the priests in a year and six months upon which all the people were full of joy and presently they returned thanks in the first place to god and in the next place for the alacrity the king had showed they feasted and celebrated this rebuilding of the temple and for the king he sacrificed three hundred oxen to god as did the rest every one according to his ability the number of which sacrifices is not possible to set down for it cannot be that we should truly relate it for at the same time with this celebration for the work about the temple fell also the day of the king's inauguration which he kept of an old custom as a festival and it now coincided with the other which coincidence of them 
both made the festival most illustrious. There was also an occult passage built for the king. It led from Antonia to the inner temple, at its eastern gate, over which he also erected for himself a tower, that he might have the opportunity of a subterraneous ascent to the temple, in order to guard against any sedition which might be made by the people against their kings. It is also reported that during the time that the temple was building, it did not rain in the daytime, but that the showers fell in the nights, so that the work was not hindered. And this our fathers have delivered to us, for it is incredible, if any one have regard to the manifestations of God, and thus was performed the work of the rebuilding of the temple. End of Book 15 Chapters 10 and 11 End of Book 15 End of The Antiquities of the Jews, Volume 3 By Flavius Josephus Translated by William Whiston Recording by Bill Mosley Prelsburg, Texas, USA.